the coming day, a day of woe, a terrible day for the wicked, but a day of great rejoicing and salvation for the righteous. This is how the book of Malachi closes. Please hear the word of God now as I read it. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, and all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly will stubble, uh, will be stubble. And the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, that will leave them neither root nor branch. But to you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings and you shall go out and grow fat like stall fed calves. You shall trample the wicked for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet. On the day that I do this, says the Lord of hosts, remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. And let us pray together. Our father in heaven, we are Grateful indeed for uh, the burden of the prophet Malachi. And we ask you that you might uh, once more and now in a final way burden us with that same burden. And so far as it remains relevant in the context of the new covenant. And we ask you that as a result of that we might share in his hope and his faith and his spirit of repentance. So we ask these things in Jesus name. Amen. Here is the end of the prophet's burden. We, we read uh, in the beginning, and I was just praying this, uh, that the book of Malachi is to be seen like a burden. He was burdened as the messenger of God with a burden from the Lord, and that was the burden that he was sharing in his preaching. And in that sense, he was burdening his hearers. The burden of the word of the Lord to, Malachi, uh, to Israel by Malachi. That's how the book begins. And the whole of the book is to be seen like that. We have seen him preaching to a church in decline. And so he was burdened by their sin. But what burdened Malachi more than anything else was his sense of the coming of the Lord. The coming day of the Lord, which uh, we see here is predicted, as in the case of chapter 3. It was this, most of all, that made uh, his message of repentance to Israel especially urgent and necessary. The message of the prophet here is summed up and closes with the note, with this note, I mean, will you not turn in light of what is coming? Do you not see what woes await the unrepentant when God should come with vengeance unexpectedly? Yes, and behold, he is coming. That is the message a wayward church needs to hear. Let me clarify again. I'm, I don't believe I'm preaching to a wayward church. Nevertheless, uh, even the righteous know, I've been saying this as well, even the righteous know how to receive such, such a message. We notice in this passage, as we did last time, that the righteous and the wicked are distinguished. They are distinguished here by how they will, f- will fare on that day. Which is fitting given what we just read in in verse 18 of chapter 3, just before chapter 4. Then you shall again discern between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. When? On the coming day of the Lord. That's when you'll again be able to tell the difference. Even if in this age you can't, when that day comes, you will. And forevermore, you will be able to distinguish. 
between the righteous and the wicked. And here is how you will tell, he says. That's the burden of chapter 4. The way you will be able to tell. The day is coming, Malachi says, when the Lord will come burning like an oven, which obviously indicates fire. This resembles what was said in the other prophecy of chapter 3, which, as I've been saying, resembles what is said in chapter 4. There we read, who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears, for he's like a refiner's fire. Only there, the sense, uh, the overwhelming sense, is that of the fires of purification, as we uh, will read, or as we read, if we kept reading. But here, the fires which are spoken of are the fires of judgment. Fire and judgment, or the day of wrath, often go together in Scripture. This is a day which we read in verse 5, is a great and dreadful day. Behold, I will send you uh, Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day. What day? The day when he comes with fire burning like an oven. But before I say any more about this, we must ask, what day is it? The coming day of the Lord? Well, what day? And here is uh, where the New Testament offers a bit of a surprise, which, as we saw in the earlier sermon from chapter 3, surprised even John himself, which led... Uh, which led to his question in Matthew chapter 11. Are you the coming Christ or should we look for another? The coming of John who was predicted in this passage. John, in his preaching, like Malachi and all of the preachers of the Old Covenant, the prophets, bound up uh, together the coming of the Lord with judgment. They saw the days in which Messiah would come as the last, uh, the last day. The last day. The end of the age, the end of the world, when God would judge the world. And if you look at John's preaching, you'll see that very clearly. The emphasis of the coming of Christ is the way in which he will come in judgment. Matthew chapter 3. And as a result of that, what would occur is that the righteous and the wicked would be separated on this coming day of the Lord. But Jesus comes and he tells John something which surprised John. He tells him and us to wait for judgment, even though the coming day of the Lord has come, as John predicted and as Malachi predicted. He says the day of wrath is still to come. The day of the Lord has come, but the day of wrath is still to come. And yet, when Jesus comes, as I say, it is the day of the Lord. And he comes in fulfillment of this very message, Malachi chapter 4. Only we discover, I'm not speaking in riddles here, neither is Jesus. We discover, this is the surprise of the New Testament, that there are in reality two days of the Lord. Just as there are two comings of Christ. Christ has come, Christ is coming. And both are to be seen as the day of the Lord, the day of his coming. The day in which Christ comes into the world and he meets with men. That's what the day of the Lord means, the day of his coming. And in reality, if we are to understand what John did not understand, how this prophecy is to be seen as fulfilled in the life of Christ, 
we realize that the fullness of what is predicted here can only be seen in both comings and in both days of the Lord, not reduced to one or the other. I'm not here to say, in reality, everything that Malachi predicted will come on the last day. That's nonsense. He's speaking of when Elijah comes and the Lord comes on his heels. He is speaking of the day of the Lord that we read about in the Gospels. But the fullness of what he predicts and what John predicted can only be seen when we also include in that the second coming of Christ in judgment. That is the only way to resolve the difficulty that we face in a text like this, which, as I say, not only confused John, but let us be clear, it confuses even ourselves when we read a passage like this. We have to realize that there are two comings of Christ. There are two days of the Lord and taken together. There we have the fullness of what Malachi and John predicted. And so we have to look at both. And the first thing that is said about the coming day of the Lord is that it will be a coming accompanied with fire. It it is a coming which will burn up the wicked. And we must include the first coming in this. Of course, once more, John predicted this too in his preaching, that the kingdom of heaven was at hand and that it would bring with it the judgment which which Malachi predicted, that the coming of the Messiah would spell judgment for the wicked, especially in Israel. And we know that that is what, in fact, happened. That Christ came in judgment to the apostate nation of Israel. He judged them by his preaching, first of all. So much of the Gospels we see, uh, the, the, the preaching, I mean, that we find in the Gospels, is directed toward a wayward nation. The spirit of Malachi, the spirit of John, was found in Christ as well, in which he denounced and prophesied uh, the woes and even the end of Israel. And we see that the rejection of Israel, both in the engrafting of the Gentiles into the new covenant church, as well as the downfall of the nation of Israel in AD 70, just 40 years after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, uh, both of these things were very much, very much bound up with the coming of Christ into the world. The coming of Christ into the world spelled the end for Israel, just as it spelled the beginning of the church. But the greater fulfillment of this prophecy, again, the, the, the burning of fire, uh, surely must await his second coming when literal fires await the wicked. When he comes a second time into this world, he will literally burn the wicked like stubble, for they shall be the fuel for this fire. Something which Jesus himself predicts many times, the fires of judgment which he will bring in his second coming. A common theme in his preaching in the Gospels. Yes, we see, and this is why John was confused, his first coming... We find no such fires. His, in his first coming, he brought uh, the offer of salvation, even for the wicked, even for them, uh, the, the offer. If you will turn and be saved, they would be saved. They would not be burned. But his second coming, we know from his own preaching and from the, the prophecy of Malachi, will be all fire, a consuming fire which devours the wicked. 
The wicked will then know him as their judge who condemns them and forever stands opposed to them, ever experiencing his fiery judgment in the fires of hell. Uh, That day, the day of his coming in judgment, burning like a fire, that day will begin a day uh, just like God's Sabbath at the beginning of the world, which begins but never ends. It will be all fire, only fire, fires forevermore, ever burning but never consuming. I am describing to you the realities of hell which are predicted here for the wicked. What a great and dreadful day it will be, says Malachi, verse 5. And you see, this is a part of what burdened him to such a great extent, thinking of what awaited the wicked if they did not turn. While it was still today, this day, and not that day. The great and terrible day of the Lord. And know that we might be burdened in the same way for the wicked who are perishing now and will perish forevermore. And yet, we see that the wickedness of the wicked are seen precisely in this fact. It is, as Peter says, that they, they mock the coming of God. They act as though God can never touch them and God never will or would. Where is the promise of his coming, they say. Their wickedness is seen, you see, not just in the fact that they sin today, but it is seen in the fact that they pretend that that day is never coming. And that God's wrath will never touch them. And yet how sorely they will be disappointed to discover that on that day it can and it will. And it will leave, Malachi says, neither root nor branch. All will be consumed. None will escape the coming fires which burn up the wicked. But ultimately what he says, as we saw in the other passage, God's book of remembrance, he remembers the careless words of the wicked, but he also remembers the words of the righteous. And the burden of this passage as well is primarily for the righteous as a word of hope. And so as you look to the other side of what Malachi is predicting, The coming day of the Lord which burns up the wicked, yes, but also let us see a day of gladness and rejoicing for the godly who looked for his coming. Who, unlike the wicked, did not pretend it would never come, but who lived all of their lives in anticipation and hope for the coming of Christ. See what a difference, he says, it makes to long for and expect the coming of the Lord and thus to meet it with rejoicing. The Apostle John says, I'm not sure I can remember it exactly. Let me, let me just turn there and read it to you. He says, 1 John chapter 3, verse 3, Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. That is the hope of his coming. What the servant is doing in expectation of his coming is he's purifying himself. He wants to be ready when his master comes. And Malachi has a message for such people. What hastens their step on the paths of righteousness is the hope of what awaits them. This glorious meeting with the Lord. And I wonder if that is what motivates you in your walk as Christian people. The thought of what awaits you at the end of that narrow and straight path which leads unto life. The day in which you will meet the Lord when he comes. Jesus, likewise, in a similar spirit in Luke chapter 12, condemns the wicked and the slothful servants 
while at the same time commending the one who is diligent and found ready and waiting when his Lord returns. I thought I might have read that, uh, I might have read that, but uh, I, I think it better not to, just for the sake of time. Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 35, there you get a picture. Jesus speaks of the slothful servant who acts surprised. But then he speaks of the one who was waiting and expecting and happy to meet his maker and his maker happy to meet him. The slothful servant, by the way, will be burned up with fire, Jesus says. But for the, for the righteous servant, those who are like this, Malachi tells them to expect, to expect a different experience altogether. He says, and this imagery is beautiful, uh, although it's strangely similar in a way to what the righteous or the wicked experience. If, if the wicked are burned up with fire, uh, that's what the day means for them. Uh, on the other hand, Malachi says, the dawning of the coming of Christ will be like the rising of the sun, which is a ball of fire, isn't it? And yet rather than burning them up, it will, it will be a day of gladness to them and it will bring healing into their lives. Healing, mercy, and peace. Uh, Malachi, you, you might say, is depicting Christians who are longing for the coming of their Lord, uh, just as the, the psalmist did in Psalm 130, verses 5 through 8. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in His word do I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. Yes, more than those who watch for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is mercy and with him is abundant redemption. And he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Here is a picture of the man who's waiting. He's longing for the coming day to dawn. That's what the Christian life is like. It's like the long night looking for the rising of the sun. But when the rising of the sun has come, Malachi says and the psalmist says, it will be a day of mercy and a day of healing. And so we will be strengthened, he says at the end of verse 2. To you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings, and you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. You who are weak in this life shall become strong on the day of the resurrection, especially. But what is more, he says, he goes on to say in verse 3, to complete the picture, the relation of the righteous to the wicked, will also undergo a surprising twist. Rather than the wicked afflicting the righteous, which is the common lot of the righteous in this life, and as is common in this world, he says the godly will rise up in triumph over the wicked when the Lord comes in judgment. And so the righteous on that day will not only rejoice in his own salvation, depicted here as the rising of the sun and the dawning of the everlasting day, uh, of, of our Sabbath rest. But he will likewise, and I know this is difficult, it's difficult even for me to say, but he will likewise, you will likewise, I will likewise, rejoice in the damnation of the wicked. You will rejoice in the overthrow of the wicked. Those who uh, so sorely burden the Christian and the church in this age. Their day is coming. And let us rejoice to know it. And let us look forward in hope at the rejoicing that will occur on that day. There will begin a day in which the righteous will stand over the wicked, always victorious, sharing, that is, in Christ's victory over the wicked. Wicked, Not our own, but his. 
Here again is a picture, let us see, of what occurs when Christ came into the world. I am a, I'm speaking primarily of what is still to come, but, but, but we, we have to see that, that everything I just said for the righteous begins even now in the present. A picture of what occurs when Christ came into this world. Especially uh, one recognizes that what occurs uh, just after John preaches the coming of the Christ is indeed the rising of the sun. The dawning of a new covenant in which the son of righteousness, that is the son of God, begins to shine in the world. And doesn't Jesus say that I am the light of the world? He says that many times in John's gospel, pointing to this passage. And do you know he also says that you are the light of the world as Christian people. This is the glory and the privilege of the church in a new covenant. The sun has begun to shine, the sun of righteousness, and is shining even now. And what is the effect of that bright, shining sun? Well, it's what he says here. It's precisely what we see in the Gospels as well. That when this sun begins to shine upon the world, it brings healing with it. And is not the Gospel full of such stories? The healing of Christ's work. Not only that, but new vigor and life to those who were weak, those who were lowly. And finally, the triumph of the righteous over the wicked. Well, even then, in some measure, we have to realize that we as Christian people uh, are, are, are raised up with Christ and hid with him in the heavenly places where he now is reigning, where he is now triumphing. And we share even now with that reign and that triumph hid with him in the heavenly places, still yet to be revealed, nevertheless true. And that is a matter of faith for the church today. That is the faith which John says even now overcomes the world. But it is especially, uh, we know, with reference to the second coming of Christ that we find both new life and healing and the resurrection. We find the beginning of a day that will never end, a day of triumph, a day of gladness, a day of salvation. A day in which the triumph of the church with Christ will come into full view and perfect fulfillment and nothing will ever again Calls us to question it or wonder whether Christ is really reigning. The wicked then will be fully overcome. A day which is spoken of uh, in many places in Revelation. Uh, Revelation, just as an example, Revelation chapter uh, 2 verse 26. He says, he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule with rule uh, them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like a potter's vessel, as I also have received from my father. And I will give him the morning star. Here is a picture again of what awaits the Christian who with Christ perseveres in faith and overcomes. He will share and partake in Christ's victory. And rule over the nations on the last day and forevermore. And so yes, part of the glories and the bliss of heaven. Will not only be uh, sharing our life with Christ. But, but also sharing in his reign. Or if you like. It will consist of putting down our cross. And putting on our crown. It is the difference between the church militant and the church triumphant. And it is in anticipation of this great day of triumph for the church 
that the prophet turns next in verses 4 through 6 to instruct us how we should prepare for the coming of Christ. And here, Matthew Henry rightly observes, is the end of the, new co- of the Old Covenant or the Old Testament, which is obvious, isn't it? But uh, he doesn't mean uh, that in the obvious sense. He means it like this, and I mean it like this, that the Old Testament is, as it closes, indicating that it is closing. Here is the end, it says. An end of revelation, an end of an era, an end of a dispensation. And in ending in this way, the last of the prophets of the Old Covenant until the, uh, the, the coming of the predicted Elijah, it tells us both to look back and to look forward. That is the final admonition of the Old Covenant as it comes to a close. But in doing so, to expect nothing more from this dispensation, Revelation is being wrapped up and there would be no more prophets. And so look back and look forward. That is the final message of the Old Covenant. A message which I think you will agree continues to have relevance even today. The first thing we see is a course prescribed in verse in verse four, which is simply remember the law of Moses. In light of the coming day of the Lord, remember the law of Moses. In light of the ending of a dispensation and an era in which Moses was supreme, remember him and remember his law. And here Malachi is true to his office as a prophet and thus a messenger of the old covenant. He, along with the others, ever pointed to the law of Moses. Moses, he says, uh, speaking on behalf of God, my servant. Moses, the first of the Old Testament prophets and the one through whom the law was given. The law which was ever the centerpiece of the old covenant. A law once more which the prophets ever pointed to, both as that which Israel had transgressed again and again, and here we see at the end, once again, they had transgressed it, but also, and more importantly, especially here, as that which prescribed the path of repentance. How is it that I, as a wayward believer, or perhaps in the case of many here, those who were not even believers yet, how is it that I might be restored, return and repent Remember the law of Moses, he says. You see, as the last messenger of the old covenant, he lays down nothing new. He merely points to that which was old and forgotten, both as a matter of practice and of principle. Go back to the law, he says. Remember the Ten Commandments and you will do well. The day which is coming will not terrify you. It will not catch you unprepared. But uh, you will be like the master whom the master found doing his duty. And whom he was ready to reward. Let me tell you what Matthew Henry says about this. Attaching a special uh, importance to the word remember. He says the summary of our duty. We must remember it. Forgetfulness of the law is at the bottom of all transgressions of it. If we would rightly remember it, we could not but conform to it. The office of conscience is to bid us remember the law. And so that is the message of the prophet here. Remember the law. Go back to it always. Let it instruct you. Let it be your guide in seeking and discovering the paths of repentance. 
Remember it as Moses preached it from Sinai. Remember it as the prophets after him. Let us remember it as Christ. And the apostles preached it. Remember it, he says, especially to the men in those days, as the revelation, as the revelation of the old covenant was coming to a close. And yet, in remembering it, realize that God would not thereby cease to be known, even though the prophets, the mouth of the prophets would be stopped. Still, they would have the scriptures of the Old Testament. And there they would find God's law. But especially, he says, remember God's law as you look forward to that coming day, which I am predicting here. And so as we come to verses 5 and 6, that becomes the focus once more, the coming day of the Lord. Which could also be uh, be called, not just a second duty, but a promise made. In addition to the duty prescribed in verse 4, a promise made in verses 5 and 6. And here is a fitting close to the canon of the Old Covenant, telling the saints what to look for. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. That is the final, that is the final note of the Old Testament, which is, as I say, a fitting close. What would be the first signal that revelation which had ceased was once more begun and the day here predicted had come? Well, Malachi says it would be the emergence of a new prophet after the order of Elijah, not Elijah himself. Even the Jews understood not Elijah himself, but one like him, one very much like him in appearance and in circumstance, one who resembled him in every way, one who preached the message of repentance in days of great apostasy. This is what Elijah was like, but when John emerges, uh, emerges, he's just like him. And in this he would stand alone. He was to be the great forerunner to the coming of the Lord, the coming day of the Lord. And when he came, In the days when John began to preach, you think about how the Gospels begin, what the Gospel writers are signaling to us. Let Israel know the day of the Lord is upon them. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The Messiah is coming. This is the very thing that John himself preached and expected. And in keeping with that, he, like Malachi, preached a message uh, of repentance. Repent in light of the coming day, lest you too should be burned up with fire. And so Malachi also predicts that as the result of John's preaching, that the hearts of many would be turned. Many would hear the message and they would repent. And as a result of repenting, they would be a people prepared for the coming of the Lord and would find a place in the kingdom of God that he brought No, John's message and John's ministry was not all failure. It sometimes seems that way, doesn't it, when we read the early pages of the New Testament? But it wasn't. He would, and he did turn the hearts of many. And he made way for the coming of Christ. Praise God for that. His was a preaching which would accomplish what it sought. Not in every case, obviously. In fact, this is the other side of the story with which we're more familiar. In the case of most, it was just the opposite. That he did not turn the hearts 
of those who heard his message. But in the case of so many, they were hardened in, in, in penitence as their fathers were. And so, like all the prophets before him, John was hated and John was killed. We also read that, don't we, in the, in the Gospels? And yet, still we can say, with the confidence of what Malachi predicts, that his preaching did its work, just as Peter's preaching did its work, just as Paul's preaching did its work, and even just as Christ's preaching did its work. Those who were meant to be turned and brought into the kingdom of God with the coming of Christ were converted By John's preaching. Yes he says. Malachi now. Young and old alike. Fathers and children. Fathers turn to their children. And children to their fathers. It's a beautiful way of depicting. The healing and the peace and the harmony. That repentance brings about. Especially in the setting of a new covenant. How disruptive. We know sin can be. Destroying even the nearest and the dearest relations. The relationship between a father and his son. And yet at the same time we can say. In the spirit of John and of Jesus. How much healing repentance can achieve once it has begun. And how does it begin? Well it begins like this Malachi says. It begins when one like John begins to preach the message of the kingdom of God. And the coming of Christ. And the consequent need for repentance. Repent And believe for the kingdom of God is at hand. Which is to say it is coming and it is very near. And even in the case of those in those days it is upon us. And what happens when a man hears that message. And he takes it to heart. His heart is turned and he repents. He is brought into the kingdom of God. So that to use the imagery earlier on from this passage. uh, The son of righteousness begins To shine in his life. A new day has dawned. He is now a Christian. He is a participant in the salvation. That Malachi predicted. And that the Jews of the old covenant. So looked forward to. And now he begins to experience. The healing power. In the realm of all that sin has disrupted. Yes for all that sin has ruined. Even fathers and sons will be brought back together once Christ has come with his forerunner before him. How eagerly, you see, the saints then must have looked forward to all this, living as they were in days of sad declension when relations were ruined on account of sin. Where those who should be friends were enemies. But Malachi says, when Christ has come on the heels of John the Baptist, things will begin to be set right. It won't be so hard in those days to get along, the prophet says. The sway and the reign of sin won't be so great. There will be a coming together of those who were estranged. And I wonder if you believe that. And I wonder if you've experienced the healing of the gospel in your life. And yet... He says, and this is the final note, this is the final word of the Old Covenant, for those who will not listen, and here we must include the bulk of his hearers, both uh, Malachi and of John, we find a warning. He says, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. That's the last line of the Old Testament. Lest meaning unless you repent, unless you turn at the preaching of John and those who are like him. 
Long before John preached his message that that the axe is laid at the root of the trees and God stood ready to burn Israel up like fire. Malachi said this. Yes, this messenger will turn the hearts of many and so he will make a people prepared for my coming. But those who will not turn at the preaching of the gospel, those who stubbornly hold on to their sin, when I come, And find that still yet, even with one last prophet to warn them, they hold fast to their sin. I will come and strike them with a curse. And is that not what he does? Does not Jesus curse Israel by his coming? Yes, he does. We've already seen that. Not only with his words, but with his actions. For his coming, as we've seen, spelled the end of Israel. Jerusalem was struck down. And the Jews were scattered to the four winds. Just as the New Testament church was being formed. And this was something that Christ predicted in his preaching. It was something that he brought about himself. But here we find it even in the Old Testament. Elijah will come and turn the hearts of many. But a curse awaits those who will not turn. Do you notice? And I'm again borrowing from Matthew Henry. But how can you fail to make an observation like this? Do you notice that the old covenant ends with a curse? It ends with a note of cursing, which is fitting, really. Here was a dispensation of shadows and darkness and ultimately a failure. There was, and we were meant to see this. This was the lesson which the schoolmaster was teaching. There was and there could be no success. Until Christ came. But once he does. Well compare what you find here. To what you find in the pages of the New Testament. Even at the very end. Ending not with a note of despair or of cursing. But ending with a note of triumphant hope. Revelation chapter 22. Verses 20 and 21. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. Even, amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you recognize, as the New Testament itself teaches us, that the greater part of this prophecy, the prophecy of Malachi chapter 4, is still yet unfulfilled. So that we find ourselves in a position which is very similar to that of Malachi's hearers. Still we are looking in anticipation for the coming of the Lord. Which which means that the wayward are still being called to repentance. And that the faithful are still being called to perseverance and to remembrance. It is true we have seen John's appearance in the likeness of Elijah. Much that the prophet has predicted we have been privileged to see. We have seen the coming of Christ into this world. We have seen the rising of the son of righteousness with healing. And yet still we look for his final appearance. And this expectation really sets the tone for the entire New Testament. The hope of the prophets endures even In the dawning of a new covenant. Look for his coming. Come Lord Jesus come quickly. That's not just found at the end. But all throughout. And as we look for it. The message remains what it was. In Malachi's day. Remember the law of Moses. 
How quick we are to forget it as Christians and believers in a new covenant. Do not forget it. Sit under gospel preaching which calls you to repentance like that of John's. And be sure that you have repented. Look for the gracious influence of the gospel in your life. Even now. The healing that it brings. Even to families. And above all. Look with anticipation for the coming of the Lord. On that great and awful day. When the son of righteousness will begin to shine upon the righteous. But burn up the godless. And let that beloved be your burden. Like Malachi. Until he comes. Amen. And let us stand together and sing praise to our God. In the words of hymn number 238. Please stand.